And because of that, Lord, we have no reason to fear because you are able. Lord, we thank you that Christ is ours forevermore. That no matter what happens with us as believers, that Christ would not forsake us, that he will always be with us. That we will always be his and no one can take that inheritance away. Lord, we pray for us as the living church that we continue to look to you as our God and our Savior. That you continue to do your work in us, Father. Even in the midst of trials. As we say this morning and as the scripture affirms, you have begun a work in us, Lord. You began your work in us. And your word tells us, Lord, that he who has begun a good work in us will completed until the coming of Christ so Lord as we as we go through this world and as we deal with the sufferings and the struggles and the even the victories of this life Lord help us to keep ourselves grounded in knowing that you will complete your work in us the work that you began at salvation Lord you will complete that work in us and if you're going to complete it, Lord, that means that your work is being performed in us right now. So Lord, as we suffer, as we struggle with sin and against sin and struggle with the just the issues of life that we face, Lord, living in the fallen world. Lord, ground us in the hope that, Lord, you're still doing your work in me despite this situation. Despite how I may feel. Despite how I may look, I'm not going to always be on 10. I'm not going to always look my best or feel my best. But Lord, despite all those things, you are still doing your work in me. And Lord, that is something that we as believers can hold on to. Those are precious truths that we must never forget. Our enemy desires for us to forget them, Lord, but... May we always lay hold of those things. Lord, I pray this morning for our pastors, faithful brethren. This is Pastor Appreciation Month, but even outside of that, Lord, we, we pray for uh, the men who are faithfully laboring in the gospel at their churches, who are serving their flocks, Lord. We pray that you continue to encourage them. I thank you for the encouragement from my church. I thank you for other churches that are encouraging their pastors that we continue to lift pastors up, Lord. We have an arduous task of shepherding the flock, of, of preaching the word faithfully, of helping to shepherd the hearts of our congregations. Lord, I pray for brothers overseas that I talk with regularly, uh, Brother Josephus in Gobbage in Liberia and Brother Sylvester is in Zimbabwe, a country that is very hostile towards Christianity. We pray for brothers over here in our area, Brother Steve Mays and Brother Josh Henderson and Brother Cody Hale and, and Brother uh, Justin Holland and Brother uh, Curley and uh, Brother Phil and Bob and Carlton and Anthony, other faithful men. Who are laboring to preach the gospel. Laboring to, to be true to your word. To not be false teachers. To not deceive their flocks Lord. But they are faithfully shepherding the flock Lord. That you be with them. That you empower them by your spirit Lord. To preach well. 
God to continue to lead their flock. And Lord, we come now as your people gather as one before you. Lord, with all of our weaknesses and failings and needs, we know that we need you, Lord. We need the grace that has come to us through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, we need to hear your gospel afresh. We need the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit through the word. We need your illumination, Lord, because our eyes are often dull and, and darkened. Lord, we don't always understand your word. We struggle. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would teach us by your spirit through your word. We ask, Lord, that you, re that you would move us, that you would bring to light the greatness of who you are and our neediness for you, and that you would, Lord, stir up faith that we might look to you and you alone. I pray, Father, that you may, may remove from us pride and, and any thought, any distraction that will hinder the reception of your word as it is in truth in the word of God. Lord, I ask that in all of us now, as your people, we will receive your word with hunger and thirst and gratefulness. So, Lord, feed us through the word of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Man, may the Lord feed us through his word this morning. Let us turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. We continue in the word of the Lord. This is my 35th sermon in the book of Ephesians. And as I said last Sunday, I praise the Lord for expository preaching, opening up the Bible and letting the word of God speak for itself because inevitably you're going to address issues of the Christian life that we as Christians have to face. Last week we talked about the Christian at work and what it means to work for God's glory and work to God's glory. And so today we're going to look at Christian warfare. The fact that the Christian is at war. Walking in the strength of the Lord. Part one, we're going to talk about putting on the whole arm of God. And then next Sunday, we're going to look at the whole arm of God as a whole. So this morning, I'm going to read verses 10 all the way down through, I think it's verse 20. But our focus this morning is going to be verses 10 through 13. And you see the very first word in this passage is finally. So that lets us know that Paul is coming to the end of his letter to the saints in Ephesus. So this is the word of the Lord. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Keep that in mind. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We'll expound on that in our sermon. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, Therefore, take up the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, 
excuse me, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on a breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak let him who has ears let him hear what the spirit of the Lord says to the church so our focus this morning again is going to be on verses 10 through 13 now I mentioned just a couple minutes ago that we as Christians are in a spiritual battle in this world we are in a battle as long as we are in Christ we are going to be in a battle Sooner or later, every believer discovers that the Christian life is a battleground. It's not a playground. The Christian life is not play play. It is for real. It is a battle. It is not a life of ease and comfort as some people are presented as. That's why some people, when they come to faith in Christ, they are discouraged when they are faced with uh, opposition. Where there's spiritual opposition, where there's opposition from those who don't believe in Christ, they're, they're, they're taken off guard. They're taken aback because they've been sold the lie that once you become a Christian, what's the thing that people say? Everything will fall into place. I used to believe that at one time. I used to tell people that at one time. But that is not true. Everything is not going to fall into place uh, magically when you become a Christian. That is something if if we have been doing it, we need to stop telling people that because everything's not going to fall into place. Being a Christian does not exempt you from the struggles of life. It doesn't exempt you from the pain that you're going to face in life. It doesn't exempt you from the trauma that you may experience in this life. But what being a Christian does, you, does do for you is it equips you to deal with and to handle life as a Christian. It is a battleground. And we face an enemy who is much stronger than we are apart from Christ. Apart from Christ. So Paul uses in this passage, he uses military language to illustrate the believer's conflict. He uses military words. We read at the end of this passage that he is chained as a Roman soldier. He is an ambassador in chains. Now, this is what I want to do in our introduction is to, to lay out the enemies that Christians face. We talked about that in the passage that our enemies are not people. And I say this all the time. It's just worth reminding. As Christians, we face three enemies 
And everybody who's been long enough should know, but I'm not going to test you. We face three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Write that down. Put it on your forehead. Put it in your memory bank. Put it on your refrigerator. We face three enemies as Christians. The world, the flesh, and the devil. My proof text. Turn to Ephesians, the second chapter. And we're laying the groundwork as we're going through this passage. <laughs> the world, the flesh, and the devil are our enemies. Not people. Now, people are part of the world system. Okay? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us about our enemies. And I'll explain it. So this is what Paul says. We went through this sermon uh, a couple months ago in this passage. So Paul says here in Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 1. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of what? This world. That's the first enemy. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's the devil. Among whom also we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and by nature, children of wrath, just as the others. So those are our three enemies. The world. The world, of course, the system around us that is opposed to God, the ideologies, the philosophies of this world who are opposed to the truth as they are found in Scripture. Anything, any philosophy, any ideology, any worldview that is opposed to the truths revealed in Scripture are of the world, the system of the world, the ideologies, the thinking of the world, the, the trends of the world, everything that is in the world is opposed to God. And the things of the world caters to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's what 1 John 2, 15 through 17 talks about. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So the world appeals to our sinful desires. So the first enemy, Paul says, is the world. And I'm doing this in, out of order. The next one is the flesh. He talks about that in Ephesians 2. We once conducted ourselves in the lust. When you think about the word lust, think about sinful desires. People think about lust as just like sexual, but no. Lust is any type of sinful desire. It could be a desire for money. That's a lust. You're lusting for money. You're lusting for power. You're lusting for social media fame. You're, you're lusting to go viral on social media so you become TikTok famous or an influencer and all these other things. You're, you're, you're you're lusting for, for, for clout, for attention, for likes, for shares. That's a sinful desire. So the flesh is the old nature that we inherited from Adam. We're in Adam. We're in our flesh, our sinful flesh. So the flesh represents our old nature. And that nature is opposed to God. And that flesh can do nothing spiritual to please God. There's nothing good in our flesh. Nothing. 
at all. And then you have the devil. The devil is our enemy. The word devil means accuser. And what does the devil do as our accuser? He accuses God's people day and night before the throne of God. That's found in, I think, Revelation 12, around verse 7. The word devil means accuser. Satan accuses God's people before his throne. Accuses them of sin. Accuses them of unrighteousness. That's what the devil does as our accuser. He's our enemy. He accuses us. He tells us, you're not in Christ. You, look at you. Look at what you're doing. You're not, a, you're not a Christian. You're not a believer. But Christ serves as our, as our advocate. He advocates our righteousness before the Father. Though the devil accuses us, his accusations are not true. So he is our accuser. And the word Satan means adversary. The devil is Satan and Satan is the devil. He's our adversary. He is the enemy of God. He's called the tempter. He was called a murderer from the beginning in John 8 chapter. First Peter 5 8 compares him to a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In Genesis 3 he's called what? Serpent. Genesis 3 and 1. In 2 Corinthians 11 Paul calls him an angel of light. He disguised himself as an angel of light. This is the enemy. So those are the three enemies that we face. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And they are very formidable enemies. But they are not to be feared. And we're going to see why in this passage. So let's look here as we exposit this text. Paul says, finally, brethren. So finally, he's coming to the end of his letter. And this is important because Paul, throughout the whole letter, and we talked about this with this series, established the Ephesians in our identity in Christ. And then how we are to walk based on that identity. And he, the last section, beginning at chapter 4 that we talked about, this is how we are to walk in light of who we are in the first three chapters of this book. So Paul is speaking finally in light of all that God has done for us in calling us to be saints and adopting us into his family and accepting us in the beloved and blessing us with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. We find that in Ephesians 1. It is in light of the glorious standing that we have as a child of God. Remember, we've been adopted into God's family. We are God's children by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying, finally, in light of God's great plan of the ages that God made us a part of, that we are one with God through Christ, in light of the plan for us to mature as believers as we saw in uh, Ephesians the fourth chapter in light of the fact that we have been brought from spiritual darkness to spiritual light we see that in Ephesians 2 that we were once in darkness but when the goodness of God appeared as Paul says but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he had loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us lie together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together 
and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In light of that. In light of being filled with the spirit and walking in the spirit. In light of all this, there's a battle for the Christian to fight in this Christian life. But we fight this battle from the position of victory. Not from the position of defeat, but from the position of victory. So how does Paul begin this section of the book? Two words. Be strong. Be strong. Be strong. But he didn't leave it there. The problem with us is we try too much to be strong. We try too much to be strong in our own strength. We try to tough it out ourselves. We think God is taking too long to do certain things, so we... We try to take matters into our own hands. Amen. If you can't say amen, say ouch. <laughs> we try to take matters into our hands. We try to do things ourselves. And what we're saying to God is, God, I'm, I'm better at this than you are. That's what we're saying. So Paul says, be strong in who? The Lord. Our sermon title is walk in the strength of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. And in the power of whose might? His might. In the Greek, Paul literally wrote, strengthen yourselves in the Lord. That's what that means in the Greek. Strengthen yourselves in the Lord. This goes back to 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, where it is said that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. We just read it in our psalm this morning in our responsive reading. David said the same thing. The thing was what? The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts for I am helped. The Lord is the strength of his people. David wrote that. Psalm 28 that we read in our responsive reading. So Paul's calling us to be strong in the Lord. Remember, this is, he's talking to saints. He's talking to those who are filled with the spirit, those who are born again. Our strength comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from our intellect. It comes from the Lord. So he's talking about spiritual warfare here. There are two components. Number one, we must be strong in the Lord. So our strength comes from the Lord. We draw from him through prayer. Through the reading of scripture, through trusting in him, through trusting in his promises. We're to be strong in him. He is our strength. We draw it from him by looking to him. He is the source. He is the reservoir of our strength. Be strong in the Lord. I think about the book of Joshua. God told Joshua. Be strong and courageous for I am with you. That's drawing his strength from who? The Lord. He didn't just say, Joshua, be strong and courageous and go on out there and lead Israel into conquering the land. He says, no, be strong and courageous for 
I am with you. I have already given this land to you. So he could go to battle in the strength of the Lord, knowing that God was going to be with him. That's how we face our spiritual battles, people. That's how we face them. So we're strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This shows how to get our strength. It doesn't happen by just saying the words, <laughs> okay? It's not like an incantation or a spell where we have to say it over and over again. You can't just walk around saying, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might over and over again, and that will happen. You can't declare and decree that. Because those things will accomplish nothing. What is might? Might is inherent power or force. Think about a man with big muscles like your pastor. <laughs> Kidding. That was a bad joke. So, some people are agreeing with that, okay? All right. Might is inherent powerful. So think about a very muscular man with big muscles. He displays his might. Even if he doesn't use it, he just looks what? Strong. Like you don't want to mess with that guy. He'll probably pick me up like a toothpick and fling me. That's what might is. It is the reserve of strength. It just looks like I was thinking uh, this past week, I was I was stationed on an aircraft carrier. Aircraft carriers are huge. If, you, if you've never seen one in person, they look very mighty. Like just how imposing they are. 1,100 feet long and, and over 200 feet at its widest. And, you know, aircraft carriers are huge. They just look mighty. If you've ever seen a cruise ship up close, they, look, they put a cruise ship to shame. They just look, they just look imposing, just, just mighty. So when you think about might, you think about something that just looks, it's like reserved power. It just looks like it can do something. So we're talking about might. And then power is the exercise of might. Power is putting might into action. So when that muscle man uses his might to bend that bar, he is showing his what? Power. That means the reserve of strength is that action operation. When those aircraft carriers, when those jets start taking off the flight deck and those, uh, those uh, Felix missiles start shooting off and the, you know, they're exercising their power. So when we think about power and might, God has vast reservoirs of might. He is mighty, mighty, mighty. Okay? So God has vast reservoirs of might for the believer. That can be realized as power in our Christian life. But his might doesn't work in us if we just sit <clears throat> passively doing nothing. We can't be passive in this. We have to do what? Rely on it. We step out and do the work. 
We step out knowing that what? God is with us. Knowing that God has already defeated our enemies. That's how we do it. We just do it. You know what? We can face these spiritual enemies. We can face the world. We can face the ideologies of the world. We can face the hatred of the world by going out every day knowing that God is fighting for us. That God is with us. That God is by our side. That we have the might of God in us by his spirit. That we have the strength of the Lord to persevere in this world against the world, against our sinful flesh, and against the schemes of the devil. We're not without hope in this world as the unbelievers are. It's not I do everything and God does nothing. It is not I do nothing and God does everything. It is I do all I can. And God helps with what I can't. But we are doing it trusting in God's what? Power and his might. That's how we endure in this in this spiritual battle. We go forth, people. When you go on your job, you're at a spiritual battle. You have a lot of unbelievers that you work with, that you have to deal with, that you have to listen to. In those moments, you know God is still with you and that you have his power and that you have the power to resist their influence. You have the power to resist them, period. Because you know that you have God's strength and God's power in you. And that makes it easier for us to navigate these difficult times that we have in life and these difficult people that we encounter. So Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, Martin Lord Jones, the uh, British preacher from the 20th century, he listed many ways in which he believes Christians wasted their strength in his sermon on this text. He says it was as if they had received some of the available might of God but it simply leaked out and was never uh, put to work. It leaked out like water leaking out of a bucket. This is what Lord Jones said. He said, these are some of the things that sap the strength of the Christian. And these are pretty interesting here. Committing to too many spiritual works or things, too much conversations, arguments, debates, wrangling, laziness, too much time in the wrong company, too much foolish talk and joking, love of money and career, a desire for respectability and image, an unequal yoking with an unbeliever, ungodly entertainment, a wrong attitude toward or doubting the word of God. He continues, we have to walk on the knife edge in these matters. You must not become extreme on one side or the other. I always talk about the two ditches. But you have to be watchful. And of course, you can always tell by examining yourself whether your strength is increasing or declining. So ways that our spiritual strength can decline is by doing so many things and more. Laziness. That's a way of declining the strength that God has given you by just being lazy. 
Lazy and tired are two different things. Tired is from, you know, the daily activities of, of life. Like, you get home from work, you're tired. Your body does need to rest. Your body's not a machine. But laziness comes in when there's opportunity to do things and you don't do it. You're, you're doing it without purpose. You're just laying around without purpose. That can sap your spiritual strength. Too much time in the wrong company, being around the wrong people. You know, some people say they're energy vampires, you know. <laughs> people that just sap, sap your joy away because they're the wrong company to be in. That can cause your spiritual strength to be weakened. Love of money career. You're pursuing money. You're pursuing things of this world. That's going to sap your spiritual strength. Unequally yoked with an unbeliever. That definitely, I can only imagine uh, that. That will sap your strength and your joy. Because it's hard to deal with being yoked with an unbeliever. Someone who believes in Christ is going to be sapped by someone who doesn't. These things can sap the strength of Christians. So I agree. Ungodly entertainment. Garbage in, garbage out. What are you consuming? What kind of entertainment are you constantly consuming as a Christian? If a Christian is constantly consuming ungodly content, ungodly entertainment, whether it's through social media, whether it's through movies or music or whatever the case may be, if they're constantly entertaining those things, it's going to sap their spiritual strength. They're not going to be ready to fight the battles of this life. You can't fight. Think about this. You can't fight the enemy of the world if you are in the world. If you're acting worldly, <laughs> how can you fight against that which you are part of? If, you, if you've adopted the world's philosophies, the world's ideology, the world's worldview, if you've adopted that, how can you fight against it when you're actually part of it? You can't. Yet that's God to give me the strength to, Lord, step away from these ungodly influences. Lord, help me to not be so lazy. Lord, help me to not get in so much debate about silly things and frivolous things to not spend time extended time in the wrong company we have to pray and ask God to help us with those things because those things can sap our strength so we can't be strong in the Lord and in the power of his, of his might if we are doing things that can sap that strength from us amen so he says, Paul, as he continues in this passage. He says, be, be strong. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the wiles of the devil. So we are strong in the Lord. Now, this is something that we have to do. Put on the whole arm of God. The arm of God will be explained more fully in the next passage that we'll look at uh, next week. I'll begin at verse 14. But the emphasis is on the 
whole armor of God, not just the armor of God. He says, put on the whole armor of God. So what God does for believers, he gives us a set of equipment and he sends us out into battle with everything we need at our disposal. God prepares us, people, for this life. God prepares us for this Christian walk. He doesn't just save us and send us out there. You're on your own now. Figure it out for yourself. No, God prepares us. He equips every single believer. And guess what? You know the good thing about it? Every believer has access to these resources. The arm of God just is not just for super saints. It's for the new, believe, new believer, the, the novice believer, as well as the seasoned believer. Because all of us are facing a spiritual battle no matter what. He gives all believers this set of equipment. This arm of God is from God. It says the whole armor of God. It comes from him. It is God's actual armor. God shares his armor with us. We're equipped with God's armor. This is not man's armor. It says the whole armor of God. Of God means of. The preposition of means coming from. So this is God's armor. And if we put on God's armor, guess what we're going to have? God's protection. Praise the Lord. It's not our armor. It's God's. And just in case you didn't know, our God is undefeated. That's why Paul says in Romans 8 and 37, we are more than conquerors through him. Through him. We're not more than conquerors through ourselves. We are more than conquerors through who? Through him who called us. Why? Because we have on his armor. So it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the wiles of the schemes of the devil. Satan's schemes against us come to nothing when we stand against them in the strength of God. What are the schemes of the devil? The, the deceitfulness of Satan. The cleverness, the, the crafty methods, the cunningness, the deception. Excuse me, of Satan. Satan is very deceptive. Satan's schemes are shown throughout this whole evil world system. And Satan, remember, Satan rules of this world. We read that in Ephesians 2. The prince of the power of the air, who is there working out in the sons of disobedience. That's Satan. The world belongs to Satan. The world system. He rules and he carries out with his demon hosts. Every sin, every immoral practice, every false theology, every false religion, every worldly enticement, every worldly uh, trapping is from the devil. It's deceitful scheming. False teaching is from the devil. It is called the doctrine of demons. So we're able to stand against these things, stand against Satan's schemes, stand against the, 
the false worldview, stand against the false teaching. So that the devil won't have a foothold in our hearts. And I'm going to tell you all this also. There's not a battle going on between God and the devil. There's no battle. There's no competition. The devil is God's devil. Satan can do nothing more than what God allows. Understand that. I've seen an old picture around sometimes where it's... <laughs> like an arm wrestling match you got the the devil you know on one side and somebody who's representative of God uh, which is actually violating the second commandment by the way having the image of God because no one has seen God in time we don't know how God looks but anyway probably I guess Jesus got a halo over his head or whatever and then you got the the, the so called devil on the other side friends that's heresy that's not that's not true it's not an arm wrestling what Satan wins and then Jesus wins and then Satan no no Satan is a defeated foe he's already been defeated there's no competition between Jesus and the devil none so we have we don't have to fear the schemes of Satan God gives us the strength to stand against them. Satan tries to intimidate us. Remember, he tries to accuse us. But they will come to nothing. In the spiritual battle, we have to remember that. Amen? Why does he say this? The word for, verse 12. So, put on the whole arm of God that you may stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against people, flesh and blood. Our battle is not against people. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, Paul didn't call the believers to enter into a spiritual warfare. He said that we're in it. It is a fact. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But we do wrestle against principalities. It is a fact that as Christians we are at war. We are in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. You have to know that believers. Every day that you wake up. Our battle is real. But it is not against people. Because we, we put all of our efforts into the direction of people. You know, you go on social media a lot. You hear people talk about their enemies. You know, like they're so self-important. I know all my enemies don't like this, but blah, who cares? Be quiet. You're not that important. But that's what people do. They, they go on social media talking about their enemies. And you don't have no real enemies. Just because somebody disagrees with you or don't like what you wear, doesn't make them an enemy. Everybody wants to be a victim now. You don't have real enemies in this world. And I understand this. People are not our enemy. People are not the problem. We're not wrestling against who? Flesh and blood. 
We're not wrestling against people. The problem is not people. The problem is the force behind the people. What's animating those people? Who's animating them? Their flesh. The devil. Now, I don't mean it doesn't remove agency from them. They can't say the devil made me do it and all those things. But the point is, is that it's something behind them that's motivating them, that's animating them. But they make the choice based on that to do what they do. So they're not free from blame. But the point is our energy and effort should not be focused in that direction. Paul talks about this as much in, in 2 uh, Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, Paul says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Our weapons are not of this world. And we don't war according to the flesh. We're not going against flesh and blood. People are not our problem. This is a spiritual battle. And you can't fight spiritual battle in the flesh or by fleshly means because it's not going to work. As saints of God, as those who are spirit-filled, we fight a different battle. Again, our battle is not who? People. It's not people. It's not those people who disagree with you. It's not those people who don't like you. Okay? It's our spiritual enemy who is Satan. So he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but who do we wrestle against? Principalities. Against powers. And I'm explaining what all this means. Against the rulers of the darkness of this age. So Paul used a variety of terms to uh, refer to our spiritual enemies. We can just look at them on being like different ranks, different levels. But they all have one goal. And that is to knock the Christian down from their place of standing. Now. Again, the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil are what we have to be wary of. And those schemes are the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, we learned about principalities and powers from other passages in the New Testament. If you look at Romans 8 and 38, Paul says here, that I'm persuaded neither height nor death nor principality nor things to come, no things are heaven, no things are earth, shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So even principalities cannot keep us from God's love. That means that there's a limit to their power. Principalities can't keep us from God's love at all. Friends, this is another truth that you should take with you this morning. There's no opposition against the Christian that can separate us from God's love. 
Nothing. Can everybody say nothing? Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. Not even the supernatural powers of this world. Not even those demons and evil supernatural powers. The forces of darkness that Satan empowers cannot separate us. That's what we think about when we think about principalities. There's no power of Satan, people. There's more powerful than the power of God, than the power of his what? His might. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, 20 through 21, that Christ is enthroned in heaven above all principalities and powers. Colossians 1, 16 tells us that Jesus created principalities and powers. Colossians 2 and 10 tells us that Jesus is head over all principalities and powers. That's where uh, Paul said that uh, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, things on the earth, things above the earth, things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That means all principalities are subject to Christ. They are not all powerful. Principalities have no ultimate power. Our victory is rooted in what Christ did. Not in what we do. It's all about what he did. What did he do? He defeated the principalities and the powers. 1 Corinthians 15 and 24 tells us that principalities and powers have an end. One day God will no longer let them work. Christ disarmed principalities and powers at the cross. That's Colossians 2 and 15. And you know, some people talk about the devil as if he has all power. Like he's someone to be afraid of. Like he's around every corner, that he's lurking, that he is omnipresent, that he knows your thoughts. No, he does not. He does not have the same power as God. We have to be on alert for Satan, but we're not to fear Satan. We have to be aware of his schemes, but we are not to fear him. Do we get that? Christ defeated those principalities. He disarmed them. Our victory is rooted in what Christ did not what we do because remember we go back to the beginning of this passage be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might it is his might we depend on we can't defeat these powers we can't defeat these principalities only Jesus can amen so he says principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of his age that's Satan again and all his Minions, those who do his bidding, those whom he uses, and Satan uses a lot of people. Amen. <laughs> they don't realize they're under the influence of Satan, but guess what? They are. 
We see a lot of satanic things going on in our world. You know what? All the stuff you see going on in our culture that's against God is satanic. Why? Because it goes against God. But what are we to do? Take up the whole arm of God that we may be to stand against these things. Stand against the schemes of the devil. Because we don't fight flesh and blood. We don't use the whole arm of God to stand against people. We use to stand against the principalities and the powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. And spiritual host of wickedness is like the most depraved abominations. The most depraved abominations. Like extreme sexual perversion, occultism, witchcraft, all this dark stuff. Satan worship. All these dark things. The whole arm of God helps us stand against those things to not be influenced by them. I was listening to someone, uh, a preacher, talking uh, uh, last week about how, if you notice, Halloween has become the third most, in terms of dollars, the third most popular holiday behind Christmas and Easter. It didn't used to be third. They start putting Halloween stuff out in July. Think about that. And this preacher was also saying Halloween has gotten darker as far as the displays and the, the makeup and just all this stuff has gotten darker, more sinister. The decorations are, are more dark. Dark meaning like uh, darkness of the world, spiritual darkness. It's a house up on 10th Street. You pass cemetery, pass through that light. It, it looks kind of funny, but it's got two skeletons holding what looks like to be a body bag wrapped up in tape, you know, as a as a yard decoration. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's funny and it's silly. And I told my wife about it. I said, these decorations are getting darker, you know. 20 years ago, you wouldn't have seen someone with a decoration. You know, this is we bought our house 21 years ago. I don't think people had like a little pumpkin, you know, stuff like that in the yard, some little lights, you know, little jack-o'-lantern pumpkins or whatever. That's pretty much all people did. Now if you drive around, you got people going all out with dark stuff, grim reapers and and, and just all this dark stuff is, is becoming more and more dark why because our world loves darkness and hates the light these are the principalities these are the powers these are the rulers of this age the darkness uh, look at Paul says the darkness of this age we have to have on the whole arm of God to stand against these things to stand against these satanic these demonic these abominable influences as Christians we have to take on the whole arm of God we have to put it on to stand against these things against the spiritual host of, 
of wickedness, the, the popularity of witchcraft, the popularity of occultism, uh, people reading crystals and beads and that all this stuff has exploded popularity. Understand this, people. We have to pay attention to worldview. When Christianity and the influence of Christianity fades away from a culture or a nation, it's going to be replaced with something. Remember, everybody's a worshiper. When the influence of Christianity, which is fading away in our nation, is being replaced by paganism, by rampant idolatry and rampant sexual perversion and rampant abominations and the, the flaunting and the flouting of, of sin. We see it. These are the darkness that we face, the powers, the principality, the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. These are the things that we face as Christians in this world. But thank God he gives us a way to stand against this. He gives us the keys. So what does he say at the end as we get ready to close? Therefore, take up the whole arm of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Without the strength of God and the protection of spiritual armor, it is impossible to stand against the attacks of our spiritual enemies. If we do not have the strength of God and the protection of his armor. We won't stand. We won't make it. The purpose for the strength of God and arm of God is to be able to stand in the evil day. Satan is going to do his best to stop God's work in us and God's work in this world. He's going to do his best with him and all, his, all of his imps, all of his demons, all the people who do his bidding. They're going to try people to thwart God's purposes, but guess what? It will not happen. You cannot stop God. You cannot stop his work in us. You can't stop his work in this world. Paul tells us to do what? Stand. Stand against any hint of spiritual opposition. God gives us the power to stand. And to stand firm. We ought to stand in grace. We ought to stand in the gospel. We ought to stand in the courage and strength. We ought to stand in faith. We ought to stand in Christian liberty, Christian unity. We ought to stand in the Lord. God will give us the grace to do that. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you for giving us the grace to stand. Thank you for giving us strength to stand. Help us to continue to do it, to put on the whole arm of God and stand to your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen.